Oh, we've been going for a while. You want to do a sync pulse? Uh, yeah, let me start recording. That, that, that would help. Yeah, okay. It, it typically does. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Non-Toxic Fanboys Podcast, where the name is aspirational and where it is once again National Film Score Day. After doing our Oscar preview, we are back for our traditional look at some scores from the previous year that we liked. I am Glenn, and Scott, I'm going to let you get us started. What are we talking about first? Well, as you know, I did a wide survey of 2021 film scores. So, let's start a little off the beaten path with Petite Maman by Para One. A lot of the scores that I listened to fell into a pattern where the first track or two would be something kind of interesting and something that I hoped would grow and develop into a really cool score. And then the next 15 tracks would just be aimless drick. This happened with, like, dozens of scores. If you look down through our notes, there's just score after score after score after score, where track one, my note is, this is kind of interesting, I wonder how this will develop, and by track five, my note is, okay, this is just really fucking empty, and by track eight or ten, I just give up. Petite Maman broke that cycle because the entire score, as it was released, is three tracks, and they're all subtle variations on the same track. It's just the one track that is kind of cool and interesting, and then it ends, and that's it. The brevity really works for it. It doesn't have any of the aimless, empty Drek parts. It's just the cool and interesting part. I'll admit this one was a bit of a surprise to see you recommend this one. What is it musically that attracted you to it? Oh, God, I'm not good at actually describing these things. Um, I don't know. I just found it really enjoyable. It's got a good beat. It's got a good tempo. It's not, like, droning. It has a well-defined melody that you could follow easily. It's not empty and aimless. It's got a melody that it's focused on. It develops that melody from the beginning of the track to the end of the track. It's catchy. You want to listen to it. That's sort of what the score has to do on first blush, is make you want to listen to it on second blush, you know? 
And so that's what this does. It's catchy. It's got a good beat. It's got a well-defined melody that it doesn't like hide or downplay or anything like that. It's just like, here's a fun melody. Here's some fun variations on it. Here's some fun instrumentation. Here it is with a chorus over it. It's just really fun to listen to. I will say on the third track of the same track, the brevity of the piece did strike me a bit when that track ended, because the whole thing is only about two, two and a half minutes. And the third track of the score release is like an instrumental version without any of the chorus or other effects. And when that track ended, it did strike me just how short it was. Part of me wanted it to go on. Part of me wanted it to, like build to the next level and continue through another verse or stanza or however you want to call it. But the way that you would normally do that, the way that that track would build to that next level for the next iteration would be to add a chorus, which is what the first two tracks are already. So mission accomplished, I guess. Good job, score. I was reminded a little bit of Stranger Things listening to this just because of the, like, 80s-style retro synth-pop vibe. This is a lot more melodic, obviously, and that does a lot to recommend it. But I was surprised to see you single it out. Why? What about it doesn't seem like my style of score? It's heavily melodic. It's three of the same track, so... It's the same melody in repeated tracks. That's close enough to a theme for me. I mean, it's a song twice and then the instrumental version of the song. And what, I don't like songs? No, I'm just saying it's... it's. I'm not thinking of it as much of a score album as a single <laughs> to match the retro feel. I don't know. Like I said earlier, I cut a wide swath through 2021 scores looking for some decent stuff. I listened to a lot of Drek. I listened to a lot of generic action-y filler material. I listened to a lot of, like, droning, monotone, trying-to-be-very-serious-and-portentious material. This isn't any of that. This is fun. This is catchy. This has a distinct melody. I keep saying that because it's so fucking rare these days. (laughs) Okay. This is just a really fun listen. That's the thing it is more than anything else to me. It's just fun. It's a fun track. It's fun to listen to. Sure. Let's move on to something that I had a great deal of fun listening to. That is Tale of the Sleeping Giants by Panu Altio. Tale of the Sleeping Giants is the third in a series of Finnish nature documentaries that Panu Altio has scored. 
I believe I talked about both of the previous ones, Tale of a Lake and Tale of a Forest, in our other score shows. This one branches out a little bit from the more traditional sound of the other two, especially Tale of a Lake, while not venturing so far away as to lose the association. But there is some more distinct synth work. There are some stylized voices that are somewhat reminiscent of Philip Glass, I think, in a way that I found pretty interesting. But overall, I found the score and the album really dynamic, really melodic, really compelling. And that's something that I get from all three of the scores in this series by Altio. So I was very, very glad when I found out that there was another one of these coming out. Apparently it had been delayed for a little while. So very glad to see that this was finally coming out. And I think the score really measured up. There were parts of this that I liked. I don't remember if I listened to the entirety of either of those other two, but I remember liking the parts that I listened to. And there were parts of this that I liked. But that vocal element you talk about Mm -hmm. drove me up a wall. It just grated on my every nerve. I couldn't stand it. Like, the first time I listened to this, when I was doing my survey of 2021 scores... Yeah, you made it to one track with that and then gave up. No, I made it to the second or third track with that, and then I gave up. (laughs) Once is just a one-off. Twice is an annoyance. Three times, okay, that's just what this is. And I gave up. Yeah, you don't get fooled again. Listening to it again, since I knew you were going to want to talk about it on the show, I think what gets me about that vocal element is two things. One is that it's asynchronous between the left and right channel. Not just that the left and right channel voices are doing different things or singing different things, but they're singing the same thing very slightly out of step with each other. That is just, oh, so sets my teeth on edge. It just sounds wrong. It's just ever so slightly out of sync with each other. It's like in the uncanny valley between being in sync and doing entirely different things. It's in the uncanny valley between those two, and it... You see, I thought it was interesting to use it in that way, to have those voices just offsetting each other just that little bit. I thought that was an interesting aspect of it. The other problem with those voices, and this isn't all of the vocal elements, but a lot of the vocal elements are also sort of whispered. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole almost like ASMR aspect to the vocal element in those tracks. And if there's one thing that sets my teeth on edge more than anything else, it's fucking ASMR whispering. 
Oh, God, I'm cringing just thinking about it. I'll resist the urge. Yeah, you start whispering, you can edit this show yourself. <laughs> like, whatever feeling people who like ASMR get from ASMR, I get the exact polar opposite, super extreme reaction to ASMR. It just... <laughs> Like, the sound of someone scratching their fingernails on a chalkboard never really bothered me, but if anything gives me the feeling that other people describe as nails on a chalkboard, it's ASMR. And so, as much as I did like aspects of this score, the vocal element just drove me around the bend. It basically ruins it for me. I mean, that's fair. I get it. I just don't have that extreme a reaction to ASMR. And so that aspect didn't bother me at all. In stark contrast, I think we should talk about something that I know did not set your teeth on edge. What did you think of Spider-Man by Michael Giacchino? My deep and abiding love for the Giacchino Spider-Man scores is a well-established fact on this podcast. Yes. The Spider-Man Far From Home score was, in fact, the only good score I mentioned from its year. (sighs) Now, I will say this. No Way Home is not my favorite Giacchino Spider-Man score. In fact, it may be my least favorite. That's fair. Still pretty damn good, though. Oh, it's so good. It has a lot of really good touches. Yes. But it doesn't have, like, the big showcase pieces that the other two scores do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I do. He doesn't do a new villain theme because there isn't a new villain. He uses a little bit of Danny Elfman's Green Goblin theme. He uses some of Elfman's Doc Ock theme. I don't remember if there was a theme in Spider-Man 3 for the Sandman. I imagine there might have been, but I'm not as familiar with the Spider-Man 3 score as I am with 1 and 2. There was a theme for Sandman. I don't recall that it made it into this film. I was looking at the credits when we watched the movie to see like which tracks they did actually credit, and there were three Elfman pieces, and I don't remember if Chris Young was in there from the third one. And if Electro or the Lizard have themes, then I don't know. I never listened to those scores. There was a credit in there for Hans Zimmer for Electro. Okay. But he doesn't use much of those themes. Like, he doesn't do a big showcase track of the Doc Ock theme or the Elfman Goblin theme. He just uses them in little touches here and there. 
And he doesn't even really do a showcase track of the Spider-Man theme. He also uses that in bits and pieces as flavor, but not as a showcase. It's like he's holding off on really showcasing that theme until the big heroic moment. But this movie doesn't have a big heroic moment. It's the biggest downer ending in the MCU. So the only real showcase track is the credits track. It doesn't happen in the body of the score. And like I said, he uses little pieces of some Elfman tracks. He uses touches of the Elfman Spider-Man theme. He uses little bits here and there of the Elfman villain themes. I assume he does something pretty similar for the Amazing Spider-Man themes, but like I said, I've never listened to those scores, so I wouldn't recognize them. The main theme from Horner's score for the first Amazing Spider-Man got in there, and as I recall, he didn't actually use Elfman's main Spider-Man theme, he used Elfman's responsibility motif. Because that was something that came in in this movie more than it had in the other Tom Holland movies. That was something that was actually, like, explicitly called out a lot more in this movie. And there is a new theme that he wrote for that aspect of the story, and he also used Elfman's responsibility motif. Is that the same new theme I'm thinking of? It's really the only new theme that I noticed in this movie is the one that's used uh, when, well, spoilers... If you haven't seen the movie yet, it's the theme that he uses when May dies and then at the end, right before the final forgetting spell. Yeah, there's that theme for the responsibility that he feels more in this movie and for the more 
mature aspects of the story or the aspects of the story that reflect the characters maturing a little more. The kid Spider-Man elements of the other Giacchino Spider-Man scores is phased out or phasing out. And there is that more mature element, and that new theme reflects that. There is another new theme that's relatively minor, that is more ominous or villainous, but that's sharing time with, as you said, so many villain themes. Yeah, I like that new theme, the one that you're calling the responsibility theme. I don't really have a better name for it. I think in my notes I called it the Peter's loss theme because it's always playing when Peter loses something. Yeah, well, he's losing a lot this time. Yeah, like I said, it's a major downer. Yeah. I do like that theme. I think it's really interesting, and I think it's used really well. That is the theme that actually does sort of get showcased in the score itself. Like I said, the main heroic Spider-Man theme, it's used in the beginning, and there are some of the kiddish aspects of it used there. Maybe not so much the kiddish aspects, but the sort of the happy, peppy, comedy-ish shading that that theme gets is used a lot in the beginning of the movie. But once it gets into the real body of the story, again, that main theme is used in like bits and pieces as flavoring, but it's not really given a showcase because there isn't really a big heroic sequence that would be the time where you play your big heroic superhero theme. That scene isn't in this movie, and so that theme showcase doesn't get into this movie. As I said, other than that, like, loss slash responsibility theme, that's the one that comes the closest to really getting that kind of prominent showcase. And and I do like that theme a lot. Yeah, for sure. The main heroic theme is used in the body of the score in smaller moments to accentuate little bits of action scenes and such. And again, that too is sharing time with the other spider themes. There's a lot of time sharing here, and that is one reason why, as much as I like the score, and as much as I like that more serious, more prominent of the new themes, and as much as I like the way that Shikino does integrate a lot of the other material, I think all of that other material getting integrated makes this a little bit unfocused. Yeah, I would say that. This is a score that does a lot more of accentuating moments rather than having entire, coherent, four- or five-minute musical set pieces. Yeah, for sure. That's why, like I said, I think I prefer the other scores. Like, this is still a really good score. It's one of my favorite scores of the year, as evidenced by its showcase on this episode of the podcast. Yes. But if I had to rank them, I would probably say I like the Far From Home score, the best of the three, and then the Homecoming score would be second, and this would be third. I could go either way between Homecoming and Far From Home, although, thinking about it again, I did really, really like the Mysterio theme. Yeah, that's what puts it over the top for me. Far From Home has the better villain theme. For sure. Now, we've talked- What a world when we're looking to the MCU for these things, huh? I was about to say exactly that. We've talked before in these score episodes about how uninspired and uninteresting most of the MCU scores are. Yeah. But the Giacchino Spider-Man scores are universally great. And the MCU also produced my favorite score of the year, which is Raman Jawadi's Eternals score.
God, I love this score so much. Like I said, this is my favorite score of the year. The score is so good it made me watch the movie. I did make sure we watched Spider-Man before doing this. I did not go ahead and watch Eternals. The Eternals movie, I mean, we could do an episode about it if you want. The Eternals movie Uh, is, it's a whole lot. Okay. But I watched it so that I could parse the score a little better. And it did give me more of an appreciation of the score. Like how it's used in particular moments and like moments that are emphasized in the film that maybe passed my notice when I was listening to it just as a score. I really like the main theme that he uses. There's a couple of other more minor themes that he uses that I also really enjoy, but that main theme is used in so many different ways, so many different styles, so many different instrumentation choices. It's a giant, big, bold theme, and it's also a very quiet, contemplative theme, depending on how he orchestrates it, depending on how he composes it. It's really versatile and used in a lot of different ways in different parts of the movie. And it's just really good. It's a really enjoyable listen. As an album, this is probably my favorite Ramin Jawadi score. It is really compelling. I think that main theme, I think you're right, is very good, very fun. I think the score moves between different modes pretty well. I think the album concentrates on a lot of the non-action material. There's some more contemplative material, there's some more emotional material, some of the grander material that's not just like random action music, and I think that does it a lot of good. There's an organ that he uses several times, and I'm kind of a sucker for organs in film music. It's a little (laughs) rare, and it adds kind of an almost religious tinge just by association. And I think it's a really interesting element that's not used so much that it's overused.
I will say, and I mean, you'll have to tell me if you've kind of felt the same thing. A lot of this score had a very similar feel to the Pacific Rim theme for me. Especially some tracks where he uses a guitar, where it's like he's just begging for the Pacific Rim comparisons. The way that the theme is played in a lot of tracks really did remind me very heavily of the Pacific Rim theme. I mean, since that's one of the few Ramin Jawadi pieces that I actually have listened to repeatedly over the years, I can see the comparison, of course, but it's not something that was really kind of screaming out at me while I was listening to this. If anything, I thought this was a little more melodically based than Pacific Rim was. There's also a secondary theme in this that's basically the Cybermen theme from Doctor Who, which amused me endlessly when I finally figured out where I recognized the tune from. Yeah, that, I'll admit, went over my head when I was listening to the album. Really? Yeah. That stood out to me immediately. I've talked before on this show that, like, whenever I'm listening to something, like, every ten seconds, I'm going, oh, that sounds like something, but I don't remember what. Oh, that reminds me of something, but I don't remember what. And when some reminder is so strong that I actually figure out what it is that it's reminding me of, (laughs) that's a real eureka moment for me. Okay, I get it now. (laughs) Okay. It went completely over my head, and in fact, I saw it in your notes, and it still kind of went over my head, but I see it now. And that theme is also used in a lot of different ways. That theme is used in a lot of places where it's just like the first half of it, so it almost doesn't even sound like the Cyberman theme, unless you already recognize it and know that it's the Cyberman theme. Mm. I will say, this score... It didn't completely fall into the same trap as other scores, but this score is 19 tracks, and I would say the first 14 or 15 are really, really just great. And the last four kind of fall off a cliff. They do sort of fall into that trap where once the big climactic action set piece really gets going, the music becomes a lot less interesting and a lot less melody and theme-focused. Yeah, it doesn't quite sustain its length. I'm not sure if, you know, maybe they could have rearranged some of the tracks to have some of the material spread out, or if there just wasn't much helping that. But yeah, I mean, I agree. But like the first three quarters of this is just awesome. Like I said, it's my favorite score of 2021. Yeah, good on you, Ramin Jawadi. Who saw it coming? Seriously, two of the best scores of the year came out of the MCU. That's, like, not something we would have expected in 2017. 
No, no, indeed not. When was it? Was it when Civil War came out that we were doing the podcast about that? And I idly wondered, hey, who's doing Spider-Man? Holy crap, Michael Giacchino's doing Spider-Man. And found that out like in the middle of the podcast. Was that Spider-Man or was that Doctor Strange that we found out Giacchino was scoring in the middle of the Civil War podcast? Because if I remember correctly, Doctor Strange came out before Spider-Man. Did it? It's been so long, I don't even remember. If I remember correctly, and I haven't looked this up, this is just my fuzzy memory, I think Civil War came out in, like, the spring, and then Doctor Strange came out that fall, and Spider-Man didn't come out until the following spring? Or the following summer, maybe? Yeah, you're probably right. And at least the Doctor Strange theme did get into the Spider-Mans, briefly. Yeah, we didn't mention that. It's not really on the CD much at all, but it's in the movie a few times. It's in the movie a little bit. There's one bit in the movie where Giacchino is using the Spider-Man theme with the instrumentation of the Doctor Strange theme, which I thought was very interesting. I don't recall if that got on the CD. It might not have. But again, there was a lot going on in that movie. There was a lot going on in that score. But that was something else that it was nice to see. And if they still remember that Doctor Strange has his theme, Hopefully, that bodes well for Danny Elfman using it in Doctor Strange 2 this year. Oh, Giacchino's not scoring the Multiverse of Madness? No, Giacchino is not doing the Multiverse of Madness. Danny Elfman is doing that. Huh. Which is interesting. I mean, Elfman's done good stuff. You know, like Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, So that'll do it for our whirlwind tour of the scores of 2021, landing on, of all things, the MCU again. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can find us at NontoxicFanboys on Twitter and Facebook, or you can email us at NontoxicFanboys at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, get episodes early, and hear an exclusive monthly behind-the-scenes podcast where we talk about the making of the show and, you know, whatever... You can do that at patreon.com slash nontoxicfanboys. You can find all of this info, plus every episode of the podcast, and all of our other accounts like our YouTube channel, our Twitch channel, and our Discord server, all listed at our website, nontoxicfanboys.com. The theme music to this podcast is Discovery by Alexander Nakarada. Other music in this episode comes from the score to Petite Maman by Para One, Tale of the Sleeping Giants by Penu Altio, published by Movie Score Media, Spider-Man No Way Home by Michael Giacchino, published by Sony Classical. Eternals by Ramin Jawadi, published by Hollywood Records. All excerpted here for the purposes of review and critique. A full list of tracks cited can be found in this episode's description. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. What is it musically that attracted you to it? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) 